This is Dr. Baba Kazizadeh. You are listening to the Smile Podcast, where I will be sharing with you my unique and holistic perspective on beauty, health, and wellness. Hello. <laughs> Millions of people have surgery every year. Or you could just get a boob job. Using targeted Botox can be a miracle. Smiling like that is a skill. Your surgery has been successful. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Smile Podcast. I'm Dr. Baba Kazizadeh. And today I have the distinguished pleasure of having Dr. John Cabin, who is a, a phenomenal facial plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills, California, join us. And today we're really focusing on Botox uh, and all about Botox. We're going to call this Botox 101 because we're going to give a lot of information about its uses, what it's, um, how it came about. Uh, what the conventional uses are, what the advanced uses are. And we have an expert who uh, does a lot of Botox in his practice. Welcome. Thank John. you so much. Thank you for having me. This is great. All right. Excited. And uh, John and I have known each other for uh, quite a while. Um, That's true. Yes. Almost five years now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, John is a really, really phenomenal physician, Thank you. injector. Uh, of products, facial plastic surgeons. So, uh, and he knows a lot about Botox. So we're going to pick his brain, get some information so that um, for you guys uh, who are listening and watching this, we want you to be um, um, educated consumers because Botox is probably, it is the number one uh, uh, medical uh, aesthetic product yeah absolutely and uh, it's done everywhere it's done not only at plastic surgeons and um, dermatologist offices but also at med spas there's some dentists that do it so before you do botox or if you have done it and have not gotten a great result with it we want you to kind of get a reset learn all about it today with us and hopefully You'll have more education and be able to, um, you know, be able to uh, get the best possible outcome and understand all the risks and all the benefits and so forth. So, John, tell us uh, a little bit about yourself before we get started and your okay. training and, you know, why you ended up deciding to be a facial plastic surgeon, which is the coolest specialty in the world. It really is. Um, <laughs> I appreciate the introduction and I... I love participating in this. The Botox thing is is really important, I think, to educate people on, so I'm excited to talk about it. Um, so a little bit about me. I, um, I graduated med school, uh, went and did a fellow uh, residency in head and neck surgery, uh, also known as ENT, uh, which is really focused in on the surgery, uh, surgical aspects of the head and neck, um, excluding the brain and the eyes, um, the spine as well, all the structures in the neck and the face. Um, and during that residency, a part of that is doing facial plastic surgery, which is um, doing reconstruction or cosmetic surgery or non-surgical interventions for the face. Um, the reason I went into head and neck surgery is I wanted to be a surgeon and I loved the anatomy of the head and neck. I loved the function of the head and neck. It's where all our sensations come from. It's, um, you know, our taste and our smell and our hearing. And then once I was in the residency, I really, really loved the aesthetic aspects of the face, symmetry, harmony, understanding it from an artistic standpoint. And I wanted to really focus in on that. Um, I came out to Beverly Hills in 2015 to do my training um, with the world-renowned Dr. Bob Ekazizadeh, uh, as well as Dr. Paul Nassif, who uh, of botched fame, as amongst other things. Um, and I stayed here. And, and it's just, it's really a pleasure to be able to work um, in an area with so many plastic surgeons, um, learning and from each other and kind of being an environment where we can all um, really push ourselves to be the best. So uh, here I am. And uh, awesome. I'm excited to be awesome. here. Yeah. So speaking of that, tell us a little bit about what, how did Botox come about its history? And uh, because, you know, the first thing that people think about, it is a toxin Yep. And toxin just doesn't sound like something people want to put into their bodies. But how did, what you know, what's the evolution of this this uh, drug? 
it's a it's actually a really interesting story. So um, botulinum toxin, which unfortunately it's called a toxin because people get scared by that, uh, is is produced by a bacteria, um, Clostridium botulinum, and um, it it really works on the on the neuromuscular junctions, the things that make our muscles move. Um, and it's it was originally discovered because it's an actual disease that people could get back in back in the day when um, when there was more exposure to this. Actually, in, in the current day, some babies are still susceptible to it. It's an, it has to do with immunology and eating raw honey and things like that. But regardless, it's a very unusual disease. It's very rare. We study about it in med school. Um, but the toxin itself that causes the disease works on the muscle to make it move less. And that's how it affects the whole body if you get infected with this, which again is very, very rare. But in a controlled way, um, scientists started looking at it in, in about the 70s to see if we could use it in small, small, small amounts and very targeted muscles to improve diseases that, uh, let's say, are uh, involved with muscles. So the first place that was written about in this was using it around the eye, the muscles that move the eye, um, for a disease called strabismus, which has to do with, um, you know... The cross-eye, right? The cross-eye, exactly. A lot of kids are born with that a little bit. Exactly. Right. And, and there was a lot of success in, in that targeted injection, meaning it doesn't go into the whole body, just into that muscle. Um, and that's when these doctors who first started using it and studying it, it was approved for this in, I think, the early 90s, um, started to realize that, oh, well, it also is causing less movement of the expression muscles that cause wrinkling. And so why don't we start trying to use it for cosmetic purposes? And it sort of exploded from there. Um, it was approved for a number of areas in the, in the upper face. Um, and, and nowadays it's used on label and off label for lots and lots of cosmetic purposes, which we can talk about. Can you explain what's the difference between on label and off label? Because there are a lot, and this is not just for botulinum yeah. toxin, but also any other drug that is approved by the FDA. What's on label, what's off label? And so that again, um, we can kind of have a little bit more understanding of that. Yeah, so the great question. I think it's, it's also really important for patients to understand. On label just means that the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, the organizing um, government organization that approves drugs, has approved this drug for a specific use. So um, if there is a drug and the government says you can, the FDA says you can use it to treat X, that's on label. But if doctors on their own or scientists on their own or through research realize it can be used for other things safely, but the FDA hasn't approved it for that use yet because the studies haven't been done, um, then it's called off-label. And the important thing to realize is off-label doesn't mean unsafe. It just means that the companies that own the drugs or the doctors that study the drugs haven't put it through this very, very, very rigorous, very, very expensive testing process. Sometimes it's just prohibitive financially and other times um, it's so widely accepted and so proven in the literature that it doesn't require that official stamp of approval so it's not illegal to it's, use a drug off-label but it is essentially doctors have the ability once the drug is approved to use it as a as how they see potentially beneficial for their patients exactly yes okay and there could be a ton of literature you know publications good studies that have been done that show the safety of this off-label use yep. but the company has decided not to go through the expense of getting it approved for that other indication absolutely okay. yeah exactly and botox was initially approved for not a cosmetic utilization for you know, strabismus and then blepharospasm and other things. Correct. And it wasn't until when that this drug was ended, you know, got approved for a cosmetic indication. Correct. Yeah. And, and I think the important, the other important nuance here is that um, it's on label versus off label is slightly more important when you're dealing with a medical condition, because it has to do with whether the insurance companies will pay for it, um, whether Medicare will pay for it, et cetera. And they can advert they cannot advertise okay, right. for off-label use in, you know, TV sh exactly. et cetera. Yes. So there the added thing though, so so for cosmetic or medical, you can't advertise if it's off-label. But even but 
different than cosmetic because cosmetics not paid for by insurance on label versus off label for a medical use is usually important because it's a h- much harder for insurance companies to, to pay for those uses. So I remember when I was actually in residency and I was in residency a little bit before you in yeah. between 96 and 2002. Even when we look like this. I was at UCLA. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was at UCLA and I was spending time with some of the facial plastic surgeons in the community and they were just like injecting Botox off label at that time yeah. for all of these, you know, cosmetic areas because basically just for the audience, a lot of wrinkles around, especially the eye and forehead area are caused by overactivity of the muscles of our expression muscles, like, crow's feet and glabellar in between the eyebrows, which we call the 11 sign or the forehead wrinkles. So this is kind of, I was seeing this as, you know, evolving in real time. Yeah. And, um, um, and it wasn't until 2002 and I was just started my fellowship that, you know, uh, Botox got approved officially for cosmetic use yeah. for the 11 lines. And that really set off, I think, this just enormous amount of advertising and marketing that the company did. Um, and to grow this drug and product to, you know, a, an amazing, uh, you know, level yep. that now, now we see. So what are for you in your practice? And this is, what are the typical areas that you use Botox and uh, we'll get into later what are the, you know, kind of the more unconventional areas, but maybe we can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that's, um, I think that the, the areas that most people think about with Botox, the average consumer, the average injector, you know, the forehead, which makes these vertical lines here, the glabella, which is traditionally called the 11 lines, and then the crow's feet around the eyes. Those are the three sort of workhorse areas for Botox. Um, and how long does it last? Because that's a lot of people have, you know, conflicting, you know, yeah. information about that of how often do I have to do this? And, you know, does it hurt? Uh, yeah. Does- so all important things with, when you get into Botox, kind of setting expectations. Actually, for me, one of my... It, Weirdly enough, even though it's such a common thing to do, one of my longest consultation appointments is a new person to Botox because I really want them to understand all of the nuances about it because there's so much misinformation. But um, to simplify it, you know, it doesn't work right away. It takes at least 48 to 72 hours to start working. And it, contrary to popular belief, it's not all fully active until about two weeks. So you're not going to really know what the Botox is doing for about two weeks. Um, the procedure itself, you know, it can be injected with very tiny needles in very small amounts. There's ways that we won't get into to make it a lot more comfortable. Most people find it nearly painless. Um, and it lasts between two to four months, depending on um, both the person's just general um, ability to metabolize the drug which uh, versus how much you inject. So generally, the more you inject, the longer it lasts. But four months is sort of the maximum. And what do you say when there are individuals who say, oh, I've tried Botox, it didn't work for me, it didn't last, or it didn't achieve what, you know, what I had hoped for? Because that's such a common experience for, you know, people who have tried it, yeah. and they kind of give up on it. Yeah. Like, what, do you, what do you think the real cause is when someone says that? I think Botox is, is pretty um, consistent in my hands in terms of effectiveness for people. But the, the, the real issue I think is not whether it's effective, it's what the patient understands it to be doing. And so educating the patient on, look, this is what you, we're treating, this is not what we're treating. We're not treating necessarily wrinkles that are on your face, you know, on your cheek that are not associated with movement. We're treating the movement wrinkles, the dynamic wrinkles and understanding how long it takes to kick in, what it's gonna look like once it's kicking in. I think some people even think it's supposed to work right away and they get, throw their hands up and they give up because it's not. So I think it's really understanding, setting the expectations for the patient. Yeah, and I also, the other thing I think is also who actually injected mm-hmm. and how much dosing 
because Botox is, you know, just like you could take an 81 milligram aspirin or a 325 milligram aspirin, they're both aspirin, but they do different things because you have different dosing and strength. Totally. And Botox is the same. Certain areas, you don't want to put too much Botox because it'll really kind of impact significantly and make people expressionless, which we don't want to do. But sometimes also, I think some um, some places and some doctors probably don't put enough or they're diluting it in a way that doesn't give the effectiveness. And yeah. that's what I found. And the location, exact location where it needs to be injected. Yeah. There is an art... I really believe there's not only the science of it, which we're talking about, but there's an art to it. Totally. And, you know, for instance, around the eyes, I don't know what your experience is, but I'm always like, okay, we can actually give a little bit of aesthetic enhancement to the eyebrows. But if it's done wrong, then it could create a Jack Nicholson look yeah. that's really unattractive. And it looks like the Botox was done really, really poorly. Yeah. So that art of it i think is really misunderstood to me amongst the general population because they think oh yeah if i go to dr cabin and dr aziza day i'm going to get the exact same botox yes almost yes i would say 98 percent right. of the time it's yes because the two of us think alike have done it together know exactly but if you go to dr cabin versus some other doctor whatever their training may be it could be completely a different experience. Totally. And I, I think to add to that, I think that's a really good point. And the other thing I talk to patients about is, look, I'm not, no one is a magician. And when you first walk in the door, I can't tell you exactly how much you need. This is, if you really want the best possible Botox, we need to develop a relationship where you've come in a few times. We see how it works on you. We start with, you know, probably on the lower end of a sort of a range of dosing and then we can add to it and we can we can play with it so that we know exactly what you need you know the woman walking in off the street who's petite and has minimal movement may need a lot of botox to get a good result because it's just the way her body needs it and and the big bodybuilding man who's weighs 350 pounds may need a very little bit to get the result and i don't know that until i start seeing how the interaction and happens. also the goal of the individual because yeah. there are some we deal with a lot of actors and actresses yep. and so forth, and they need to have their expression, but they still want to get some of the areas addressed. So totally. we want to go super light. Exactly. But when you go super light, the duration, the t length of time for the product also goes narrower. Yep. So it wears off faster. When you go very, very heavy, and some people need that, then it ends up lasting a long time. And yep. there are newer, and we'll talk about what type there botox we use the word botox but really botox that everyone kind of hears about is you know there are a lot of different companies that make botulinum toxin yes and we'll talk about that in a bit but we want to really kind of again figure out what the individual needs figure out the dosing and sometimes you got to modify it and maybe that your first time with your doctor you know, you got to let them know what you liked, what you didn't like, and they need to modify it until they get to a really a, you know, status quo stage. So totally there agree. is a lot of, I think, art to it. Yeah. And in fact, you could really create an unnatural, unattractive look with yeah. Botox, or you could create a beautiful, aesthetic, gorgeous appearance, totally with it, especially around the eyes. And I think one of the things I tell patients is, look, you could go to anyone off the street and you'll probably, odds are you'll look a little bit better. It's not, it's hard to really, really, really mess up Botox, but it's easy to not get a great result and to spend a lot of money and not get something that looks really natural and aesthetically pleasing. And I think it's funny that the, the, the most common cosmetic procedure, the one that's become almost a commodity in the world, is also the one that requires a lot of artistic ability and ability of experience and understanding to do well. Because so. you have to know the muscle anatomy. And yeah. that's the thing. We have so many facial muscles and some of them are in areas that there are no other muscles. And some of them are in areas that are multiple muscles yeah. that are interfacing with one another. So you could try to do something that improves the appearance, but cause another problem. Yeah. So there is an art to it and an anatomy and understanding 
of the muscles that's really, really important. And that's why, you know, this is something that we don't want to, you know, it's not something that you just want to go in, somebody who doesn't have experience or someone who doesn't understand the anatomy, doesn't understand, and we'll get into complications yeah. in a bit, understand the complications. And, you know, it can't be this mill mentality. Yeah. I think one of the, you spent a lot of time talking about Botox. And yeah. this is kind of what we call a quote unquote minor procedure. Yeah. Um, so that's really, really, really great. So now let's talk about some of the cosmetic uses that are less conventional. And we're going to call them Botox 201, graduate <laughs> level Botox. What are, level. what are some, some areas that you, you like using Botox that are not, you know, what, you know, the yeah. typical individual is doing? I think, um, if we start with cosmetic, you know, the two areas that I think are incredibly powerful and are my, my favorite areas to treat are the neck and also the masseter muscles, the jaw. Okay. Um, and I can tell you a little bit about it. Yeah, each. let's so, talk about the, the uh, neck and then we can go. Because neck, people start freaking out. Yeah. Well, you're going to paralyze my neck. And so <laughs> exactly. why, how is it that you're not doing that? So many and, people say you're yeah. going to paralyze. Um, you know, it's important to understand what it's treating in the neck and what it's not. What it's treating is there's a muscle around the neck called the platysma muscle. It's not super important to understand all the details about it, but it kind of is the top layer before your skin. And that muscle mostly is, is expression. It, it um, tenses up when we smile. Um, it also has some functional um, need for smiling. But generally speaking, as we, as we age, and even you know earlier in our 20s and 30s, we can start getting banding in that muscle, which looks really like vertical lines that are popping out when we're smiling or grimacing. It looks like you're grimacing exactly. when you're not. And, yeah. and that's really what Botox does in that area. It's relaxing that muscle so that when you're making those expressions, you're not getting those lines. Um, it's not a neck lift. It's not, you know, if you have loose skin under your neck or you have some extra fat under your, under your chin, you're not really getting an improvement of that. And also, you know, what people are calling the tech lines now, the horizontal lines of the neck that are related to positioning of our neck on our phones uh, and stuff like Yeah, that. selfie. Uh, the selfie <laughs> neck, yeah, exactly. Um, it's not treating that either. It's really, really treating that muscle and the, those, those, those vertical sort of lines. Um, and I've so, also, sorry to interrupt you, yeah. I've also have noticed when we, I do that, and we do that a lot, um, those muscles tend to pull the corner of the mouth down mm -hmm. with another little muscle called the depressor angularis. And so when you calm those muscles, and Botox really just calms down muscles. Yeah. It doesn't truly paralyze them because right. it takes a significant amount, but it calms it down. But when you calm down those muscles, I notice people feel happier. Mm -hmm. Their jawline kind of tightens up, up because yeah. you're kind of negating the downward activity. So have yeah. you found the same thing? Do you think, I think that's yeah. one of the cool things about it. Absolutely. And, and I think in, we talk a lot about this, yeah. um, not on podcast, just yeah. in person, but I think there are a lot of interesting emotional aspects with Botox. Um, you know, the, there's a feedback loop with the brain. You know, if you, if you're happy, you smile. But if you smile, if you make yourself smile, you can feel happier. Yeah. And sometimes when you suppress some of the muscles that are related to negative emotion, you can get a happier improvement. Now, actually studying this now, there's papers written about this in the glabella, for example, because this expression, when you're scrunching your brows together, is sort of an expression of anxiety. And people have reported that when you do this area for cosmetic purposes, they feel less anxiety. By the way, you need Botox. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm overdue. <laughs> yeah. I know. The 11 lines. I want patients to see what happens <laughs> yeah. when you don't get Botox. I want to scare them. <laughs> um, okay, so now the, the masseter. Yeah. Maybe explain what the masseter muscle is and what Botox Absolutely. does to it. And I, this is probably my favorite use of Botox currently. The interesting thing about the masseter muscle is a few things. The masseter sit on the side of our jaw. Um, they're our major chewing muscle. And what's interesting about them that a lot of people don't realize is that it per unit of the muscle, it is the strongest muscle in the human body. It, I think it produces oh, yeah. 300 pounds per square inch oh, of wow. force. Um, I didn't know that. The reason being that 
evolutionarily, when we were hunter-gatherers, et cetera, we needed that force to eat the things we were eating. Because they weren't cooked. Because they weren't cooked. Yeah. It was raw stuff. Um, nowadays, we still have that strength, but we don't need all of it for our diets. But instead, what happens is we end up having a lot of the stress of the day-to-day, -day, and we take it out sometimes at night by clenching our teeth or grinding our teeth. And it causes um, pain and discomfort related to TMJ, and it also causes the muscle to get bigger because you're working it out. Um, and so what's amazing about this procedure is that by injecting some Botox into the jaw muscle here, you're reducing the strength of the muscle to the level where you're still not noticing any change in eating or chewing, um, but where you're not able to generate that same force that causes pain. And also in conjunction with that, the muscle then works itself out less and shrinks a little bit. And you cause a slimming of the jawline, which for a lot of women and some men is a cosmetically desirable result. Yeah, it looks amazing. Yeah. I, th I agree. I think this is one of the coolest, coolest um, uses of Botox yeah. because... You know, we always want our cheekbones to be the widest part of our face. Now, yeah. with men, it's okay if the corner of the jawline is at the same level. Yeah. But for women, we want that to be narrower. And for some men that are really overactive and have severe, like, enlargement of the masseter yeah. and the gland here, which is the parotid gland, it, it can really cosmetically enhance the appearance yeah. by narrowing that. I also have found, this is an off-label, yeah. like... Patients who have TMJ issues mm -hmm. can really benefit yeah. from it. Uh, TMJ is basically a joint problem for when we open and close. A lot of it is from clenching mm -hmm. um, or if we have misalignment of the jaw uh, bones uh, in the socket. So yeah. that ends up being a great, you know, uh, ortho use of it. So yeah. um, I love I love using Botox in yeah. those two areas. Um, we also, I also, the other kind of cool area I like is around the mouth. If there's like some little fine lines, yeah. it can tend to improve that. I know you use it yep. for that as well. So, um, and sometimes the bunny lines right here. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the telltale signs of, and we'll talk about that telltale signs of bad Botox, which is like everything here is calmed down and then you could see these lines. Yeah. So you want to calm those muscles down too. What other telltale sign of bad Botox have you seen that you're like, oh my God, I, like, I wish I could do this person's <laughs> Botox or touch them up to make them better? You've touched on a few of them. I think you know the, most, the biggest one is just being too frozen. Um, I think the hardest thing separates sort of the the really good Botox from the okay Botox is brow position. You know, how you'll, you know, a lot of patients don't even realize it. They, but they've been walking around for years with their brows being too low because they've been over injected on their forehead. This muscle, the forehead muscle holds up the brow. And when you inject too much Botox, the brow can, can drop. So you're, you're getting rid of wrinkles, but you're making the eyes look more aged, which is one of my biggest pet peeves asymmetries so yeah. there are people and again that's the trial and error of it but there are people that need a little bit more on one side than the other and if you don't pick up on that they're going to look uneven um those are the major ones i think the one you just touched upon is the balance you know th there's a lot of people that come into my practice and they say i just want to be treated here because i don't like these lines and what i would talk to them about is look that's fine but if you're just if you have less movement in that area and the same movement in the other areas around it, you're, there's something is going to look off to people. And they may not say, oh, you had Botox in the middle, but you're not, you don't have that natural look. And so I think it's also educating the patients on, look, if you're going to do a treatment, let's treat everything to balance it yes. and not necessarily just treat one area. And sometimes I tell patients, look, your forehead lines are not great, yeah. but because your natural eyebrow position is really low, let's not... Let's not mess with them. Totally. Let's just calm down these around the corner of the eyes and the area in between the brows. That'll lift your eyebrow a little bit and those lines will calm down on their own. Totally. Also, two other things that really, and we t touched upon it earlier, which is this Jack Nicholson yep. eyebrow because some practitioners, they think, okay, you know, I'm going to Botox everything in the center, but leave the outer part of the forehead yeah. alone so the eyebrow goes up and then it goes up in a very weird way yeah. and sometimes also the very very top of the forehead that's near the hairline i've noticed 
if those line you have lines there and yep. no lines below it, it looks off. Yep. So um, just again for for those who are interested or have done this or it just there is a significant amount of art that goes to it, and so you just need to make sure you find someone that understands this product, not just like you know shove right. in some product there into your uh, face and um, you know looks at it from an artistic standpoint. Um, so what I would say, one of the things I always try to kind of in our podcast really give a fair and balanced viewpoint of, of course, all the things that we do in this, you know, this, uh, uh, we want to be healthy, we want to be well, we want to have aesthetic beauty and so forth. But what are the complications? This is obviously yeah. everything has a call. What are the complications that you feel are important for um, for consumers to be aware of, uh, you know, either yeah. minor or major ones with Botox? That's a great question. Uh, it's I think it's really, as you said, it's really important to understand that none of the anything we do in medicine, cosmetic, medical, there's always a trade-off. There's always a possible complication. There's always going to be a potential side effect. Um, Botox, funny enough, has very, very minor side effects and complications. I think the dreaded one, which a lot of people read about online, um, which I've actually never even seen in my practice, but I've seen it a few times elsewhere, is when you treat the area in the middle of the brow and a little bit of the Botox sneaks into the upper eyelid and causes what's called a ptosis. Um, it's temporary. Uh, it makes one eyelid look a little lower. There's an eye drop for it, but it's one of those things that people really worry about. Um, but it's, it, it, it needs to be you know, understood as a, a very temporary complication, a very treatable one and a very rare one. Yeah. Um, I think the major things, the major things I talk to patients about is that, um, they're not going to like the cosmetic result. That's a big, that's a complication in my mind. You know, you, you went in, you did something and it doesn't work the way you want it to. Um, and little things like bruising from the needle, um, you know, uh, a little bit of discomfort from the needle, uh, those kinds of things. I will say, you know, there's a lot of people that are afraid of Botox because it's a toxin and you're injecting it and all these things. The, the nice thing about Botox is it's not going into our body, our full body. You know, if you take a Tylenol or Advil even, it's getting absorbed and it's going into every part of our body through the bloodstream. Botox stays in the muscle. And so when, when you're talking about something that's injected locally into a muscle um, and that doesn't get absorbed in the body, the potential complications and side effects are much lower. And so in a weird way, even though it's a toxin, it probably has this one of the safest drug profiles of anything we do in medicine. Yeah. And just so that you guys are aware, the other area that I would be very careful about is the, the platysma muscles mm -hmm. that we talked about, because if a practitioner doesn't really know how to do that, um, that is an area because our swallowing muscles and all that stuff. And yeah. some, I have seen some patients who've come in who, um, and they had that done somewhere else and they felt like their swelling was a little bit yep. compromised. So that's an area that um, uh, has to be done by someone who has expertise in it for sure. Um, so now we always use the word Botox, yep. but there are more than one, there's more than one company that makes Botox. So yep. why don't we run through the various trade names, trademark names of uh, botulinum toxins and mm -hmm. maybe talk about botulinum toxin A and B and kind of so that, again, when uh, you see advertisements and so forth for other other botulinum toxins, kind of our consumers are, uh, have a better understanding of what they are and how they differ. Yeah, I think, so the major, there's really four major cosmetic brown, brands. Um, and some of them also have medical indications. There's Botox, which is the common name. It's the first one to market. It's made by Allergan. Uh, it's kind of the, it's like the Kleenex of tissues or the yeah. Xerox of copies. Um, <laughs> That's a good there's, way. There's, and then there's Dysport, which is probably the second most known one. Um, it's made by, by Galderma. Um, there's Xeomin. And then the newest one to market is Juvo, uh, which has done a lot of marketing and advertising and people have heard about it. Um, these are all botulinum toxin type A, which means that it's a certain 
class of bacteria that made that toxin. They're just formulated slightly differently. And the formulations change um, the measurements of units. Um, for Xeomin in particular, it's the one that you don't have to refrigerate. So there's that mm. aspect of it. Um, and, you know, there are nuanced differences that have shown up in studies. This is a bit controversial. I think I've talked about this before and people have argued with me about it. But I think that the differences between these toxins are so small that it's really about finding the doctor that does this in the way you want them to do it. And, the, and as a doctor, I find that it's more important to stick with one and use it consistently so it's not confusing because the measurements get confusing. Um, but there are people that will argue, look, Dysport has been shown to spread a little bit more. It, it kicks in a little bit quicker. Maybe it lasts a little bit longer. You know, I think that those differences are some, sometimes in my mind too small to really make a clinical difference. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you yeah, agree Yeah, I mean, me. I, I really think that um, if I'm the consumer, I would let my doctor exactly use their best judgment and what they're most comfortable with. So I would pick the doctor, their results, and say, I mean, I, I'm generally, I believe in this. Yeah. It's like, look, I don't like these things. Yeah. What's my best option? And let your doctor give you options. Yeah. And they may give you a variety of different options. And we'll talk about a little bit more than just Botox. Um, and the product that they like for those particular areas. It doesn't mean you should do exactly what your doctors say because you need to be an educated consumer and say, well, I don't know, that doesn't make sense or, you know, I may get a second or third opinion about it. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think there yeah. are some um, practitioners that kind of really use a variety of different toxins yeah. because they like this port maybe for the forehead, they like... Botox for the neck or, you know, Juvo for some other area. Yeah. Um, and I think you and I are alike because I want to be, you know, I, I feel like their differences are very nuanced. Yeah. It's not like fillers. And we'll talk about that for in a minute, just very, very quickly, because that comes up uh, where they're really different. Yeah. You know, different fillers really have different properties. Whereas Botox, I think there's a little bit more nuances so I'd like to kind of really stick with one and go fully understand that, know exactly what it's going to do, what muscle is going to go in, how it's going to do it, and how yeah. it's going to behave. Mm. So that gives me, I think, the best, uh, best overall technical advance yep. to be able to get the best results. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And I think the consistency... Of application becomes more important to me than yeah. than trying to play around with very small nuances that you know and there's some cost considerations i think there are course. certain uh, products that are co cost a little bit less so that sometimes needs to be considered yeah. um, we generally kind of like there's two main ways of really looking at costs some uh some place some practitioners uh charge you by the area mm -hmm. and some practitioners most i would say charge you by the unit which gives you exactly if you're going to use 30 units you're going to pay for 30 units if you're going to use 80 units you're going to use you know pay for 80 units so i generally like the per unit and i i think you do as well because that yeah. you know if you're using 20 units why pay for 40 units yeah so um so and the different products and different practices have maybe slightly different price points. So yeah. um, those are important things to consider. So outside, let's actually quickly, since we just talked yeah. about some people come in or some people, you know, see a movie star and say, oh my God, that person had a terrible Botox. Yeah. But they really had bad fillers. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about quickly what the difference between Botox and fillers are. Okay. So that we can kind of better explain like what, again, when you're going in and we're going to do a whole different segment called filler 101 <laughs> at a, a soon. So we're not going to burst all the bubbles for fillers, but just so that, you know, they're different aesthetic 
yeah. you know, uh, procedures and they do different things. I think it's, I, I, I think it's really important. I agree to talk about fillers now because a lot of people come in and they hear Botox and fillers, Botox and fillers. And it's like the two things that are like similar, but they're actually very, very different. Um, very briefly, you know, Botox is going to the muscle. It's affecting, you know, temporarily the nerves that move the muscle. It's, it's like a medication. The way I describe fillers is it's fillers is like makeup. It's like a, it's like a camouflage. It's a gel that goes in and it fills areas of volume loss. It in some cases fills wrinkles. It's a volume restorer. It's a temporary, usually a temporary volume restorer. And so um, it, they have two totally different purposes, muscle movement, wrinkles related to muscle movement, um, certain things related to muscles in general, like the jaw is what Botox acts on. Areas when we age, we lose volume in certain areas, we get wrinkles, trying to fill those areas back up or store volume, that's what fillers generally do. Yeah, and I think one of the things that you have to understand about aging, the aging process, I think, for involves multitude of different different factors. One is we talked about, which is these muscles around our eyes, maybe in our neck, the masseter, they change, yeah. and those changes, either overactivity of them and so forth, impacts wrinkles and you know uh, change in facial shape, but. Uh, the other big components of the aging process is when we lose volume or shift volume in our face, which could be a secondary to fat compartments of our face, uh, shrink, shriveling up or moving to different locations than they're supposed to be. Our bones, skull actually changes shape where the eye socket opens up, the bone right in, uh, on the side of the nose goes inwards, the upper and lower jaw shrivels up and if you have ever had a great grandparent or a grandparent that had dentures you see what happens to their face because they don't have teeth their bones even shrivel up more and more quickly and that's aging process that can't be restored with botox yep. we have to revolumize and reshape the face to create an aesthetic beautiful shape to the face and that's where fillers come in and surgery, actually, a lot of times. And uh, we'll, we'll do a surgery 101, facelift 101, <laughs> which will um, kind of address that. But so it's important when you go in and tell your practitioner, I want Botox, your practitioner may say, yeah, Botox is great, but what are you actually want to accomplish? If you want to look more youthful, it may require Botox. It may require a little bit of fillers. May require great skincare. It may require lasers. It may require surgery. And you know, if your doctor is adept and understands all of these different options, then they'll give you a really comprehensive plan. And you may choose to do just Botox that day. But for you to understand what you need to do other than just Botox or other things, I think is great. And yeah. your goal should always be. You know, I mean, my goals are always to make sure uh, patients look youthful, attractive, and natural. And if you could kind of really relay that information to your doctors, you'll be able yeah. to get that, uh, uh, achieve that. Um, okay, now yeah. we've talked about a lot of cosmetic uses of Botox, but Botox is kind of like, to me, a wonder drug in a sense, because it has a lot of other utilizations and they have been able to really find a tremendous amount of non-cosmetic uses that has you know impacted people's lives yep. so what are what are some of the other areas that you like using botox and maybe areas that you don't do it but you know other doctors utilize botox yeah i think um the you know, then thinking about Botox as a modulator, as a changing of the way the muscle moves, you can think about all of the diseases that are involved with muscles. And also, um, there is a lot of research coming out that Botox actually also impacts sensory nerves. And I'll talk about that in a second. But the major things that have actually been uh, on label, FDA approved, uh, migraines, chronic migraines, um, people that get 14 or more migraines a month, there's certain criteria, they're actually on label for use of Botox. Now, there's a lot of changing literature on this on how to use it, how to use it in a targeted way, and whether patients that 
maybe have less than chronic migraines could benefit from it. I do a lot of this in my practice, a lot of targeted Botox. Um, that's a whole other conversation that we could get into another time. But suffice to say, a lot of people are scared off by Botox when they have migraines because it generally will, they will be recommended a lot of Botox in a lot of areas and they don't need that. Other areas, other treatments are for sweating, hyperhidrosis. Um, that's a technical term. No one totally understands how Botox impacts this. There's some theories, but it really tones down the sweat glands and using it in the armpits or off label, that's on label, off label in areas of the face, um, on the feet, even on the hands for people that have hyperhidrosis in these areas can be life-changing. Life-changing. This is huge, yeah. especially for teenagers, young adults who, um, you know, are just so embarrassed to go out in public or do anything. And sometimes they're not even, you know, doing anything. Right. And, you know, they have extensive sweating of their armpits and hands, and it really impacts a lot of social interactions uh, for people. I agree. Yeah. I think that's a huge, huge area that just changes people's lives. There was actually just on that, there was a patient I had the other day who couldn't uh, want us to be in the military and didn't, wasn't accepted because his hands were so sweaty he couldn't hold the gun. Oh, wow. Um, and so by doing Botox on his hands, I haven't followed up with him yet to see how well it worked, but potentially toning that down would allow him to do something he really wanted That's to do. huge. Yeah. That's amazing. So it's a very powerful um, drug in that respect. Um, there's also other uses elsewhere in the body. In, for specialists, for example, urologists use it on the bladder muscle to, for people that yeah. have hyperactive bladder, they, they pee a lot, they have sort of spasticity of the bladder. Um, there are voice doctors that use it to modulate That's the vocal right. cords um, so that if you have some issues with the vocal cord movement, you can kind of adjust it with the Botox. A spasmodic dysphonia. Spasmodic, was, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Is in our Yeah, in that's our in our distant past. <laughs> we learned about it, we yeah. treated it in the past. Um, uh, so that's another use of it. Um, using it on on the on the outlet of the esophagus um, for people that have issues with reflux and not getting some food into the stomach. All of these things involve muscles that are overactive, and using targeted Botox can be a miracle. And again, it's it's you know if you think about, for example, reflux, right? If if someone has reflux, has to take all these medications every day that affect all kinds of things in our body and and can give us side effects or they can get an injection that targets the muscle that's malfunctioning and that's all, you know, I think personally that's something I'd prefer. And there are kids who have like spasticity, which yeah. is changes. We don't do that, but right. changes these kids' lives. Absolutely. Um, and we, we also, this is very close to my heart as well with patients with facial paralysis and yeah. synkinesis, which is basically a small dysfunction of the, um, uh, related to facial muscles or overactivity of muscles or underactivity, and we're able to use Botox to really tremendously change uh, uh, yeah. people's lives uh, in addition to other uh, procedures and blepharospasms. I mean, there, it really, uh, it, we have to, you know, everyone, you know, with the companies um, that have developed these, these indications, you know, they always say, oh my God, they're so lucky. They were able to get these indications, but these are basically really life-changing yep. uh, utilization of this, you know, of this, you know, no one knew that, right. that you could use a toxin to change people's lives in the 70s and yep. now over a 50-year period. And th that's the other thing that I, I tell people. Of course, you never know what's going to happen. And there may be a time that we're like, oh my God, I can't believe we use Botox. But when you have a track record of 50 years, yeah. I think this botulinum toxin is, has been, has shown itself to be, I think, fairly, fairly safe and effective. And with pretty, I agree with you, with very, very limited potential side effects. Um, so it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a really, really important, um, important uh, uh, topic. Before we finish, one of the other things that I always get asked is, oh, who is truly trained to do this? And I always talk about, like, look, it could be whoever it is, if their specialty is this particular area, and there could be dentists that use it for 
masseter muscles, yeah. oral surgeons that use it for masseter muscles. Um, there are nurses that are really, really, really well trained under supervision of a, a plastic surgeon or a dermatologist or oculoplastic surgeon. Um, there are physician assistants that are, you know, very, um, you know, phenomenally trained. But what are the core specialists, and we call them core specialists, that you would say um, that are very involved in, you know, uh, utilizing um, Botox from a cosmetic point? And then we'll also talk about maybe some of the non-cosmetic. Yeah, I think the the core specialists from cosmetics are on the surgical side, plastic surgeons, facial plastic surgeons, and oculoplastic surgeons. Um, those are the group of, of surgeons, of doctors, who have a really um, deep understanding of the anatomy of the face, of how modulating these muscles will change expressions. And then on the non-surgical side, I think dermatologists need to be recognized. Um, you know, they, they dermatologists is a specialty of skin, um, but Given the history of Botox, a lot of dermatologists were some of the first ones using it. There's a long history in their, in their field. And a lot of um, dermatologists are really highly qualified and really understand how these things work. And, and they've done a lot of the clinical research. A lot of the research comes from them. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, those four, I think, core specialists. Yeah. And I would say that if you're having a nurse or a physician's assistant doing it, Make sure our nurse practitioner. Those yeah. are, I think, the you know non MDs. Yeah. Um, just make sure that they're you know they have extensive training. They're supervised by one of these core specialists, yep. and I think they uh, you know some of the nurses have much more experience than some of the yeah. surgeons. So totally. we have to be definitely give them kudos for um, uh, being a part of this, and also neurologists do a lot of Botox, especially for migraine right, and yeah. some other indications. I think they're also very, very active and some ophthalmologists for strabismus mm -hmm. and um, urologists. For urologists. So uh, there are a lot of, I think it's become a multi-specialty yep. uh, indication. Um, I want to thank you, John. This is uh, has been, I think, an amazing, uh, you know, 45, 50 minutes that I think somebody who's interested in doing Botox should really listen to. And we really thank you for coming in. For um, for our viewers and listeners, please uh, give us some comments uh, uh, and any suggestions for topics. Uh, please give us a rating uh, because we'd love to uh, find out what we can do better. And uh, I want to thank Dr. Cabin for coming in. Uh, he's busy, <laughs> and we really, really appreciate his time with us. And uh, we look forward to seeing you and uh, uh, seeing you soon. I also want to I want to thank you for having me. Oh. This has been a pleasure, and I love talking about this. Yeah, stuff, this is so cool. This fun. is really great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks again, and thank you for tuning in.